0: Chaos and Christ Podcast. Chaos and in Christ Podcast. We honor Christ. Lift heavy weights, act like men, and resist tyranny. And now your host, Alexi Felix. Welcome back to Chaos and Christ Podcast. I'm your host, Alexi Felix. I appreciate you tuning in today. This is the first video podcast that is being released on x.com formerly known as Twitter and so if you are not following me on there I'm actually a lot more active these days than I am on Instagram. There's a quote that I came across on Instagram that it really just sparked a lot of thought within my mind and you know it just gave gave me a bit of uh, things to think about and I went down a rabbit hole and so with that I just want to share this with you because I think there's something that we can definitely benefit from and really, just realize the chaos that is happening in our culture in regards to this particular topic, and then you know how I uh, how I'm working through it personally on my own personal life, and maybe this could be a, a blessing for you. G.K. Chesterton quote: "The most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children." That is the most extraordinary thing in G.K. Chesterton's uh, thought. I don't fully know the context of where this conversation was taking place, if this was a speech or uh, so. I don't know, but I will say this, that alone, that, that synopsis alone is true. It is very true. I don't think a lot of people, Christians specifically, would disagree with that. We, we desire to be extraordinary. In in our culture today in America, we have a lot of ambition. And at times what, what has happened is the ambition has grown over the family. It's become very individualistic. And we are always looking for the extraordinary. We don't want to be mediocre. And so with a quote like that, the most extraordinary thing is what? Being an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and having ordinary children. That for me hits home and it it, it just resonates because we've all but abandoned this idea this notion that what we have as far as a family unit goes is actually just uh, holding us back and so this quote turns that on its head and i, I again i find a lot of joy because as i'm talking about there has been a cultural shift from family-centric dreams to individualistic ambitions we don't desire to actually be married anymore Or Honestly, as a man speaking, we don't even trust it. Nowadays, we have a court system built against men who, if the woman decides she no longer wants to be involved with no-fault divorce, she can take almost everything, if not half of everything, including his children. There's that fear there, that pullback from men, because we understand that at any given moment, she can change her mind decide that this is not for her that she's no longer quote unquote happy and then proceed forward and ruin his life essentially that is the reality of that as well as for women they either don't trust that men will be faithful which has obviously has happened and men have not been faithful in time and so that's the same fear that probably men would have for different reasons the other thing is too is that they don't want to get married to men because they want to pursue Their own individualistic goals. I mean, we we've been hearing that women in our time now and for many years don't need a man; they don't need to rely on a man. That they can get their own money, and then this gives birth to the individualistic ambitions. And today, most women online, and you know what? Some people would say, "Well, I don't see that around in my circle," but I've actually, I've actually have seen this in in, you know people that I was somewhat connected to, maybe at one point in time or the other. They've all but have abandoned that idea, have desired to become boss babes, and then uh, opened up an OnlyFans account, and they're making a killing. Why? Because, well, the men are not getting married, and so they're, they're looking for their needs to be satisfied. They're going online. Women don't need a man, but they need money, and they still need to be validated, and so they're going online and going on OnlyFans. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. This is all based on individualistic ambition. That's destroy the family unit, but we cannot deny our nature, how God created us. And so this is what's happening in our time now. And there's a pressure in society to achieve greatness at the expense of simple joys. We view having children as it holds us back. It's a curse upon our lives. You know what they tell you that when you become a father or you're about to become a father or a mother, What do your friends jokingly say? Your life is ruined. It's (laughs) it's ruined. Or if you're about to get married, there's caution. There's no, there's hardly any joy anymore towards people. There's a, make sure you get a prenup. Are you sure you want to do this? Don't get married too soon. Live your life in your twenties. That's what it's about. Hold that off as long as possible or outright. Just don't do it. Now, I see accounts from men that say, don't do it. And you know what? Sometimes I listen to it. and I'm like, I get it, though, because I grew up in a broken family home and I grew up seeing men's lives being destroyed and women being heartbroken and the destruction of the family unit. Uh, now, I can only speak as a man from, you know, in my perspective, but I've seen what that can happen to them. And that honestly scarred me for a while. Uh, And I would be lying to say if I don't still kind of struggle with the idea, but I've been renewed and I desire what God has created and how he has ordained things. So I do desire to be married one day, but we'll get into my own personal story of what happened and why this really relates to me in a little bit. But this right here, we are presented with the idea of greatness, right? To be extraordinary in our own right. And now with technology. Now, with everything that is basically afforded to us, AI, we have so much opportunity to achieve quote unquote greatness that we will abandon all the simple joys. Even if you find yourself that you're in a family right now, that you're a husband or a wife right now, how many divorces are we seeing, especially in Hollywood? These are people that have made the extraordinary, right? Aren't they famous? Don't they have riches that you and I could ever dream of? And then they find someone, they get married, they're both actors and actresses, and they, they do extraordinary things. Their income combines, can blow everybody out the water. And still, we see about 70% or even more that women are initiating the divorces. I, I just saw Hugh Jackman and his wife, that I think we what, together, maybe like 30-plus years, decide they're going to have a divorce. Why? So they can focus on their own individual growth. They're like in their fifties or I don't know. I mean, they didn't look young. I mean, to be married for 30 some years, you know, you're, you know, you're older, you're up there. What, what individual growth are you looking for? What, what are you talking about? That, that doesn't make any sense, but that's the world we live in today. That is the, the outcome of individualism, the outcome of personal greatness that we will sacrifice the beautiful, the the thing that took work, I mean, thirty plus years in marriage, and they're that's it for individual growth. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't I don't understand it. What they can't individually grow with each other? <laughs> I don't get that part. But anyway, that's that's literally w- what it is, right? Like that's that's what's what we're dealing with here in our culture. So we do this all for the sake of greatness, personal greatness. I came across this article. It's called The Decline of the Traditional Family and the Threat to Democracy by John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute. This was published in 1999, I believe, if I if I got the thing right. But he goes into the traditional family and what's happening to it and how at one period of time two parent households and family units were there and then as time progressed it's gone down and dwindled and in the year 2023 what he was talking about in this article back in 1999 he's completely spot on we definitely are broken home society we are a single parent home unmarried society where we'll live together cohabitate unmarried have children break up all that and so he goes into this but there's a quote that I've actually highlighted that I think is really important to think about. So check this out. In 1952, a California appeals court touched on what the impact may be when it comes down to the traditional family. This is California in 1952. They clearly don't believe this anymore, but check this out. Quote, the family is the basic unit of our society, the center of the personal affections that ennoble and enrich human life. It channels biological drives that might otherwise become socially destructive. It ensures the care and education of children in a stable environment. It establishes continuity, initiative that distinguishes a free people. From antiquity, the family has served as the basic building block of what? Free societies. Likewise, we find a strong emphasis on the high state of parenthood and history. Wherever we turn in the ancient world to Judaism, to Greece, or to Rome, the family structure has been revered. And long before foreign invaders toppled any of those great societies, they collapsed from within, due largely to the deterioration of their family structures. I'm floored by this. Because in my modern day context, where everyone is so driven To be extraordinary in their own individuality, the family unit is being destroyed. The numbers are there, the stats are there. This is an obvious fact. No one can refute it. But I know that in our day with postmodernism as our philosophical viewpoint, they will refute it based on their subjectivity alone. Nevertheless, for those that honestly can look at facts and say, yeah, that's what it is, that's what it is. And what do you see here? That the family unit is the basic fundamental cornerstone to a free society. And before anyone invades a country and the society collapses, in the Greco-Roman world and Judaism, the family unit was already imploding before all of that collapse happens. That really paints a picture to where we're at in the United States of America, right? In our year. Where the family unit is completely imploding. It might even tell you where we're headed. I'm not a prophet and I don't know the future, but when you look at stuff like this, you can well, you can imagine that this is something we need to kind of be you know, be aware of, nevertheless. Anyway, what else do we have going on now when it comes down to the extraordinary? What well, media's role in idolizing fame, wealth, and the extraordinary lifestyle. We see this on MTV. We see this on news highlights of people that do these things, make these decisions, start these businesses, and they highlight the successful portion of that, right? In in creating within the society, a bit of jealousy and envy and desire to go ahead and pursue. I mean, what are we always being told? You know, if you believe in yourself and, you know, don't quit, you're going to make it, you know, it's the American dream. But they don't tell you what goes on behind all of that. The divorces that took place, the separation of the children that happens during such time. And the media goes ahead and highlights these things because, I mean, that is what they're trying to promote. The illusion that success equates to being known, being affluent, living in the public eye. You know, I believe this comes from a place of insecurity. And typically, I think it comes from a place of fatherlessness and broken homes. Our individualism and our seeking of greatness and the extraordinary, apart from the thing that God has given us and the, the simplicity of that, I think does come from a place of brokenness. I mean, it has to, right? Broken homes and broken families, especially fatherlessness for boys and, men and young girls, we need this, this rite of passage. Women need to know that they are loved and that they, they need to have that example of the attention that's properly given through the father, through the mother and all that. And we have this illusion and idea that as long as we are known, we get the attention and then therefore we are accepted. And if we are in the public eye, we are an extraordinary person. We provide value. There's purpose to our lives. As long as everyone knows who we are and we are affluent and living a uh, perfect life, I believe it's coming from a broken home, that desire. We forsake the ordinary for all these things that we are told that we should have and maybe even desire. We relentlessly chase for personal ambition, and this can lead to a neglecting of the family that you do have right now and the missing out of genuine life moments. And it happens all the time. We will sacrifice these things so that way we can achieve this extraordinary life that we are told we're supposed to have. We underestimate the value, the preciousness, the wealth of the ordinary family unit in shaping society. We truly have discarded the most beautiful gift and the most wisest structuring of God and discarded that for individualism, for humanistic viewpoints and paganism. That's what we are, are doing. We are transferring all this stuff. We are exchanging truth for a lie. Look at the, the destruction that it's having in our culture right now. Those that are living in it would say that they are much more happy, but in the wake of their own happiness, they've created chaos. The divorce, the children, the money that goes into that, the heartbroken family and friends. That, it doesn't just affect you. It it affects Everything around you. It really does. It's it's what happens when we forsake the ordinary. It reaps chaos within our own lives and then eventually it hits society because the next generation is the kids, is the children. I personally have always struggled with this very thing. I I didn't want to be a mediocre person. I I despised it. I would look at people that achieve great things and thought, why not me? And I would, I struggled with a lot of, you know, childhood bullying and whatnot and wanted to be accepted by women and wanted to be desired by them if I got to be, you know, completely honest. And so that became the trajectory of my life. Anything to be known, anything for greatness, anything for money and anything for the attention of women. And I made that my pursuit. And for the most part, for some of those things, I was constantly achieving in small ways, but there was never enough. And so I just kept going for it. Now, I actually am I'm a single father and the go figure because I achieved having a relationship with someone, but could never feel satisfied in that relationship to even one, pursue the will of God of marriage and two gr- maintain that, honor that. I did everything backward. I did everything that the statistics show, un, unwedded, cohabitation, child and wedlock, and then be basically thinking about myself and my own individualism and my own self-pleasure that I went and sought it outside outside of the relationship that I had and it caused the breakdown. It was never properly built up in the first place, but now it's broken down, and as a man, ideal as a Christian. I deal with the weight of that decision every day, and it it's heavy. It hurts. It, it definitely, the consequences continue to unravel for what I've done probably years ago, and the battle wages. I desired to be known, to make a name, because I didn't have my father in, in the same home. Now, when I was younger, I barely thought about that. At least, you know, I was, I was too involved with, you know, my pursuits. But as I'm in my 30s, early 30s now, it's funny. I actually think about my father a lot more than I ever have before. And I'm starting to realize the holes that I have in my life as a grown man because I missed out on that. I didn't have that in the household. I had a broken home. I struggled with sins. And to this day, I'll still battle. But by God's grace, he's kept me. These are these are things that I started to realize, and I didn't come to this realization until, until my family unit was destroyed. And now I was putting my little girl, my child, through the very same things that I, I went through and the very same things that have caused me internal turmoil. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And when everything in 2020 happened, all of this started to come in full circle, everything everything, things started to make sense about where society was, where I was personally based on my own life story and the decisions I made to pursue my own individualistic, extraordinary greatness and desires and pleasures, it ruined not only myself, but those that are around me. And it will have an impact on society in whatever scale that it was meant to be. This has been a, a tough decision, even in my own life and i re- I have regrets for this I really do I, I mean anyone who says they don't they they're clearly seared in their conscience, but I'm, I'm not i I think that the the grace of God and the Holy Spirit has transformed my mindset and my thoughts, and now I desire to pursue Christ in all all that I possibly can by his help alone because I'm not a perfect human being but this is Honestly, help me to understand the value of ordinary moments and family ties and simple joys. When I'm with my daughter now, these are moments that I cherish. And now that doesn't mean I don't have the temptation to get on X and to build this podcast and to do things. You know, I have things that I want to do. I I'm very creative in that way, but I've learned how where to place them, and I learned how the most important things in life are your family are those that surround you with love and the memories you create with them. And what that does, now, I grew up without my father in my life. I made mistakes, but I'm still in the life of my daughter. I'm homeschooling her. It's not exactly the complete picture I, I want it, and I'm going to have to carry that for the rest of my life. But I understand the impact still, what it means to be a father and to take that calling serious and to really pour into your children's lives to connect with them in ways that you know we probably wouldn't because we want to hope, go ahead and pursue our youtube channels and twitter and everything like that i'm embracing the ordinary and so quotes like gk chesterton may, makes me realize that it's actually extraordinary the very thing that i wanted my entire life i neglected in the simp- in the simplicity and the ordinariness of our of a family of being a father, of having good friends around you, of having a church family, of having your mother still around, if, if you are privileged with that, of having your brothers and sisters. These are the most extraordinary things one could have in their lives. And I neglected it. And now God has transformed my thinking, transformed my, my heart. And, and now I see these things as extraordinary, like G.K. Chesterton has mentioned. This is a beautiful thing. There is joy found in cherishing the everyday simple things that will impact your life for, for eternity. What I want to do now is just kind of dive into what God, God's word has to say about family and the ordinary and his design for family. What is God's plan for family? How does he view it? Well, we go down to verses 18 through 25 in Genesis, and what do we see? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Remember, God has given him the ability to name all the the, uh, beasts of the field. It is his right as as the guy that's going to work this land to name it, and it shall be. And so man comes first, God creates woman out of man, and then as a leader, as the head, Adam names Eve, which is before the name Eve comes, is woman. He calls what he sees, the bone of his bone and the flesh of his flesh, he called her woman. And because, this, and the verses continues, it says, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What is the, the plan for the family? Well, one, that God has created man, and man is to work the land and to take dominion. And he can't do it alone. He needs a helper. It is not good, as God said. So he creates out of man a woman. And because he is the head and the leader, he names her and now she is called woman because she comes out of man and they are to what? Remember the verses prior? They are to multiply. They are to be fruitful, multiply, take dominion of the land. They do this as a unit. And then they raise children. Now, While we have to understand the role of children, discussing the role of parents and the connectedness of the family members and what that means, what does God call us to do? So now you have the wife, you have the husband, husband, wife, children. Let's look at Colossians chapter 13, verse 18 through 21. It reads, wives, submit to your husbands. Now we're going to have to pause there because I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to get attacked. But that is what the scripture says. This is what the order is. Adam has to submit to God. Before the woman came, God, again, like I mentioned, gives Adam the right to name all things, to eat from all trees. But there's a prohibition on that one tree. And so Adam has to submit to the obedience of God. This is the order, the chain of command, so to speak. And so the chain of command continues as God has ordained. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This is how the Lord wants it. And then husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So the submission to the husband isn't that the husband can throw his weight around and become an in-house tyrant. He still has a mandate and a responsibility and a call to obedience to God because the next thing is he is then commanded to love his wife and not be harsh right so he is the leader but he can't he can't just do whatever he wants God still says hey you still bow to me I am still your king I'm sovereign over you and so this is the mandate and then what does verse 20 say children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the lord Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is all happening within the dynamic of a family unit, the nuclear family structure, the husband, the wife, the children. All right? And the parents are to be united to raise the children and the development of the children. I mean, there's beauty that comes out of that. Free societies reign because of that. And this is the thing that we are neglecting. I am looking into this to show you that this is the perfect order that God has ordained it to be. Uh, Ephesians 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 30. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Here we go again. Honor your father and mother, the both of them. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is a commandment and there's a promise behind that, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There is longevity uh, of life when you honor your mother and father, that's very difficult when the unit is broken and one you know, one is turned against the other, or one abandons the children. How many people are upset with their dads and lives because they've been abandoned? I can relate in some ways. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Do you? We have orders here. We have roles here. Fathers are to bring up children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. They are to lead the family. Scripture is telling us the significance of all of this, of what it means to have a family and the implications of that. That is God's ordained way, and we have turned our eyes and our hearts against it for our own individualism, and this is causing chaos. And that also just highlights the fact that we are not content with the way that God has things and has ordained things for us, even on a personal level. I struggle with this, where I want to be something more than I am. I want to have more, more money. I want to have a, a, a smoking hot wife. I want, I want all the attention from other women as well. Like, I, and I want to be known and recognized for an expertise or something like that. All of this, even if you get a small inch of that a small bit of it, you start to realize that you're not even you're not content, you need more and more and more and more. It's like addiction, the pursuit of of sex, drugs, alcohol, money, fame, physical fitness, body it'll never be enough. You will constantly be chasing after this false god, and in in fact, it is a false god it's an idol that we have created in our lives individualism, selfism, the me, right? Our self-worth, self-help, self-love amplification is an idol. It's a false God that we are following in this time. And what does it do? It leaves us discontent. We are not satisfied. It serves as a terrible God. It has no fulfillment. It provides none of the promises that it claims it, it will provide. It just latches you in as a bond servant, as a slave and chained to this thing. And it, you think that you're free and that you're liberated by these things. But in reality, it's got you shackled. It's got you down. When we look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, before I read that, the context is that Paul is giving us an example of what it means to be content because of the things that he has gone through. Paul has gone through some things for the sake of the gospel suffering, hardship, persecution, shipwreck, beatings, illness, I mean it goes on and on and on. How a man can continue on in such a endeavor has to be by the help of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. And so in verse 11 through 13 in chapter 4 of Philippians the letter that he writes, he reads or writes, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, in this uh, context of our day, we take the bottom part of that verse and we actually use this for our own individualistic carnage. We say, I don't want to be married anymore. I'm going to divorce my husband or wife. I'm going to you know, end this career so I can pursue this thing and then put my family in a bad position because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we take that out of context and we misuse God's word to fulfill our own individualistic endeavors. And that's not what it's saying, because if you read it in the full context, he is talking about the fact that he has been through the the low times which is what in our world today we don't want to have. We want to avoid that at all times, at all costs. And in those low times and in the high times, he has learned to be content. Why? Especially in the low times, because with Christ, he can do anything who strengthens him. Even in the times of lack, even in the times of need, even when no one knows your name, No one knows you as some sort of expert of anything, and all you are is a dad that works hard to provide for the kids, a mother that serves the home and raises children and does the homeschooling or whatever the case may be. He was able to practice contentment. Can you? I encourage you to. I encourage you to abandon this idea of individualistic extraordinariness because the thing that you really want is right in front of you. You want to be extraordinary? Be that ordinary wife. Be that ordinary husband. Be those ordinary parents to raise ordinary children. And children, be content with what God has given you. If you, especially if you have two parents in the household that love you and are raising you in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we need to be content. How God views the least of these, He places value over any individual extraordinariness. Now, there are people that God has used in history that in our eyes have been extraordinary, but that should only drive us to give glory to God. You don't know what an extraordinary person, so to speak, has to go through, especially serving God, which Christians at times, I think, want to also be extraordinary within the Christian realm. Something special, something like a Charles Spurgeon, something like a Paul Washer, Vody. Douglas, Wilson, et cetera, et cetera. God sometimes is calling you to just be very simple and to raise your, your children and to preach the gospel to them and to be a pastor in your own home. And mothers, your desire for leadership positions and roles that God has not allowed you to in scripture is not the extraordinary thing you think you want. The extraordinary thing that you should desire is the service of your home and the building of the home and the Love and nurturing of your children and the helping of your husband. That is what we are called to do. That is extraordinary, as G.K. Chesterton says. What we want to do is live genuine, free lives apart from the shackles of societal expectations because there is true freedom in that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. To be renewed in your mind, it requires us to put something else in there, right? As opposed to what society and culture is giving us. We're constantly being indoctrinated and promoted certain ways of life and how we should think. But the renewal of our mind starts with God's word. It is his word that guides and leads us. It is a light to our feet, a guide to our path, right? Something like that. Psalms 119, look it up yourself. But his word guides us because it's his word. His word points to Christ, And in that, we learn that we are to deny ourselves. We are to set aside our own selfish ambitions and to be ambitious for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, for Christ, for Christ alone. In Him, we have all that we need. We are abundant. We are rich because as long as Christ has saved you and you have trust in Christ, you have all that you need. You have more than most people could ever have even in Hollywood, which is apparently true. One of my uh, favorite bands growing up was Linkin Park. Love that band. Great music. I still kind of like their music. I'm not going to lie. It it was heartbreaking to know that one of the the lead singers eventually hung himself and killed himself in uh, my adult years, probably a couple years back. Didn't he not have everything? Did he not have fame, success, money? Did not everyone know his name and the band he came from and recognize him for the talent that he was? Did they not pursue his own individualistic, extraordinary goals and achieved it? You know, we, we we can realize this, that the these pursuits, these things that we are told we want and need, they're a false god and they don't give you what they promise. And when you get to the end of yourself and realize you you didn't get any of it, and you feel like you're in despair and loss of hope, then what, what else is there but to end it? But God calls us to be renewed because that this way we can discern what is the will of God. His word will help you to see what is his will. One, we are to live in thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving to God who has given us what we do have. And then in that, we start to take inventory of the people that surround us, the the things we have, our jobs, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our mothers, our fathers, our friends, the community at church, and you begin to be filled with gratitude. You are grateful for the things that God has given. And then what does it do? Actually reorients you. It it unplugs you from the things that the world says you need to do, and it plugs you in for what God wants you to do, is to be faithful in the little, to be faithful where you are at, to plant your garden, sow your seeds where you are at right now. And in fact, My friends, that is an extraordinary life. That is the extraordinary life. To be an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, raising ordinary children. So, renew your mind. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice before the Lord. Be spending time in God's Word and in prayer and gathering with the church. Remember to cherish your families appreciate what you do have in front of you and recognize that you are actually living the extraordinary life. Just stop believing the lies of the world and find contentment in the life of God and in Christ as revealed to us in Scripture. We have all that we need. I have all that I need. If only five of you listen to this podcast and are blessed by it, I have all that I need. I've done what God has called me to do with the gifts that I have. And I am content. So remember, folks, that when society, when culture, when the media, and when, even when your own subjectivity begins to scream at you about individualism and it begins to create a world of chaos in your life, just remember that in the midst of chaos, Christ is there. I pray that this has blessed you. Please share this with somebody else. Leave a rating and review. And if you're watching this on X, please comment below, share this, repost it. Uh, This would mean a lot and I can connect with other people. Make sure to reach out to me at chaosandchristatgmail.com. Ask your questions. I'll, I'll include it into the podcast. And until next time, God bless you. If you found value, then please subscribe and leave an honest rating and review. And remember that in the midst of chaos, Christ is there.